this week we're reading Daughter of the Forest by Juliet Morellier, otherwise known as I'm Tired of Words. Hi, readers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Katie. And welcome to Not Another Heroine, the podcast where we break down the best and worst fictional heroines, those swashbuckling ladies who have to work a little harder than expected for their happy ending. Want to see what's next on our TBR list? Subscribe to us on YouTube or follow us on Instagram for a sneak peek at upcoming content or to help us pick our next book. Hi, Jordan. Hi. Are we are we doing this thing? Uh, yes, we are. I'm happy to be here. That sounds like that I'm... was not convincing <laughs> in the slightest. That sounds like I'm on some kind of like ransom video, and I'm like, yes, I am happy to be here. Blink twice if you're in danger. Blink, blink. Are you gonna Are you gonna hold up a sign with today's newspaper? <laughs> yes, it is me. This is real time. <laughs> oh my god, it's one of those just one of those days, weeks, it is. months. I mean, this is yeah. <laughs> it kind of it's reflective of this particular book too. This yeah. is a book it's a book it's an undertaking because <laughs> isn't it like 600 something fucking pages chonkers Dude, oh my I god mean, <laughs> yeah and that's not even the whole thing so i just showed up a, like my hard copy of the book Ooh. and it clocks in it like how many pages holy uh, shit 544 oh my god see because on the kindle one you're like oh this is fine i've just been like scrolling for a long time and it says i'm only at 21 percent, but like that that's not it's weird fine. and then you see the total and you're like this is 700 pages <laughs> well so i i was i'm reading the second one right now and it's even oh. longer i think it's like 610 pages good god but it's good you're like upset about it because you're like this is long but also you're not upset because you're like this is so good <laughs> it's one of those like those books that you wish were longer so you could spend more mm-hmm. time in it like getting to the final point the mm-hmm. ending the sweet conclusion yeah yeah that's true well, should we jump in? Should we, we, we jump should. in? I mean, <laughs> is my British let's jump accent. into the lake and swim with the swans. Ooh, ah, uh, that's depresso. Because uh, that's exactly where we left off uh, <laughs> with uh, Sorsha's brothers turning into swans um, as she runs away into the forest. Uh, and it just gets more depressing from here, honestly. So she runs into the forest. She goes to Father Brian's house. And he remember, he's like the hermit dude that just kind of lives in the woods. And uh, disturbingly, she finds that he has passed away under potentially sketchy circumstances. Uh, so she has immediately lost most important people in her life all at once in one fell swoop. But uh, just when she thinks literally everything is lost... <laughs> Uh, the Lady of the Forest appears and tells her that there's actually a way that she can break the per- the curse on her brothers. And, uh, you know, Sorsha, having spent a lot of time telling all these stories to Simon, she's like, okay, like, this is probably going to be hard, but like, maybe not that hard. Like, you know, give me a couple weeks and, you know, we'll just put this all behind us. Wrong. Uh, she has to create six sweaters for her six brothers. Sweaters, Katie. Aren't they sweaters? That's, I mean, that's what I was laughing about because it's the most Katie statement I've read yet. <laughs> she has to create six sweaters for her six brothers. <laughs> they're not sweaters, are they? No, they're shirts. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, but I think like... Yep. 
Shirts <laughs> makes more sense. But I just in my head, I'm like, you can't put a shirt on a swan. You could like maybe put a cute little like sweater. But like a shirt sounds too formal. Though they are swans. So I guess that kind of. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> you did kind of look at me with a, a look of just like shock and like question. <laughs> That's fair. So Katie's takeaway from this episode is you can't put a shirt on a swan, but you can <laughs> put a sweater on one because it's cute and it probably has button downs like a little cardigan. Yeah. See, because I feel like cats need a shirt because they have long fur. But like if you don't have a lot of fur, you need a sweater. You're getting a glimpse, readers, of the Katie <laughs> Psyche right here. And it is terrifying. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it's also very spot on. Like this is this is my brain all the time. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the sweaters, uh, guess what they're made out of? You know, not regular sweater material like regular people. Uh, it's made out of starwort, the stuff that's pokey if you even vaguely touch it. And then the little needles like stick into your fingers and stay there forever unless you pull them out and your hands are going to swell up. Uh, you yeah. mean like the starwort that our baby Sorsha happened to prick her hands on early yep. on and she was like yep. sobbing and she only touched it for 0.2 seconds yeah she's got to make sweaters out of that <laughs> shirts a little oh. asterisk self-correction yeah so if you can imagine uh that's horrible but to make matters worse uh the lady of the forest says that she can't tell anyone about what she's doing or the curse or how she's gonna break it um and if she says anything the, she won't be able to save her siblings. Like the curse will just stay permanent. So it's not even that they like took her voice, which would be like horrible, but at least there's no like accidents. Uh, she has to voluntarily stay silent. Yikes. So uh, with that horrific task in mind, uh, Sorsha takes what she can from Father's Brian's little like den thing. And um, she's guided to a safish feeling like cave in the middle of the forest near a lake. Um, but we need to kind of like recognize the fact that Sorsha is like 13, 14, and she's just going to be living in the forest by herself for potentially weeks or months. I can't even live in the forest, you know, at my age for more than a day. So <laughs> I was no. about to say, yeah, like a day is like tops. <laughs> as soon as I can't take a shower, it's like, okay, I need to go home. <laughs> uh, yikes. So Sorsha kind of immediately starts to realize that this task is like not something that's only going to take a couple days slash weeks like this is a long haul. And so, you know, she realizes that she has to pick all the star wart. She has to soften it because it's like a hard, rooty kind of weed thing. And then she has to spin it into thread and then she has to weave the thread into cloth. And then she has to sew little bits of cloth together to make a shirt for a swan. So... I don't know about you, but reading the description of like the process that she's to go through to make these shirts made me wonder, like, has the author herself actually done this? Because it's so detailed. Like, I have, I can't even conceptualize what it must be to create thread, much I, less yep. weave thread into a piece of cloth. Nope. That's actual black magic. I don't understand anything about how that process works. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> so I wonder... That'd be like a fun question for her. Like, have you ever spun something? Is that the right verb to spin? I think so. And I, so I was doing a little digging into the author and I think she's, I think she's a little bit older. I want to say she was mm. born in the forties. Oh, wow. Um, 
Yeah. So I maybe don't know. maybe that's a maybe she did learn. I could see that being like an old timey kind of hobby. I think, right? I have no concept of history. I'm you guys have probably already picked up on that, but let me just reiterate. <laughs> <laughs> no concept of time. <sighs> so um and she isn't without like little bits of uh, happiness because the Lady of the Forest also said that twice a year on midsummer and midwinter, um, her family, like her brothers, are able to come back and they'll turn into back into humans for like one night and spend some time with her. But like as soon as dawn comes, they'll turn back into swans. Um, I feel like I forgot that. So uh, unsurprisingly, this first midsummer comes. And Sorsha kind of slips away from camp and she climbs this tree because um, she wants to look out and see the people getting ready for the festival. This is like the first time in probably like a month or a couple months at this point that she's actually seen other people because she's just been hiding out in the woods. And um, she sees this group of boys and girls kind of walking nearby in the forest and they're tying like little ribbons on trees. And she kind of feels like a sad nostalgia, like oh, I wish I wasn't on this like horrific quest and my hands didn't hurt all the time and I could just be walking through the woods having a good time on Midsummer, but instead I'm not having a good time at all. <laughs> Except uh, before she can climb down to avoid getting caught by the kids, um, a little boy who's described as being like with special needs um, sees her because he's kind of sitting under the tree and he's like oh my gosh you're a fairy and she kind of like immediately scattles and hurries away before he can like actually follow her because obviously if anyone saw her they would immediately you know tell someone else and then all of a sudden unag or ona una whatever the actual pronunciation <laughs> she would immediately find out and go snatch sorsha up so that she couldn't actually break the curse and so Sorsha's terrified that someone's going to like see her, or that kid is going to tell someone. And so she kind of races off and she's like, okay, I can't ever see anybody again. Like that was close enough, but I really need to focus on this task. So at midsummers, her brothers come and they turn back into humans and they're like, um, what are you doing? Like you're all alone in the woods at like 13 years old and your hands are all fucked up um, and you're not talking to us. Uh, what is happening? But uh, they're smart and they've had run-ins with magic, obviously, having turned into swans. And so they kind of pieced together the the bits and hints of what her, their sister is doing and that it's going to help them break the curse. I'm like out of breath. What is happening? <laughs> that was a, like a race of scripting to get through. We have like several pages of notes because there's just so much that happens in the story. Like it feels like there's a lot of description for everything and when you think back you're like oh not that much like really happened but like there's so much shit that happens that like has later consequences oh man just read this book i mean just, there you go <laughs> i think it's partially the characters because you get to know so many different people in this book it just mm -hmm. yeah, it doesn't feel long you just feel like you're immersed yeah yeah and so her brothers are obviously really guilty about the fact that their sister is just kind of like living out alone in the woods um, because she's the only one that can save them and there's nothing that they can really do to help her. And I feel like the author did a really good job of kind of like describing that guilt because I can imagine like 
So they've spent their whole lives taking care of their baby sister. And then all of a sudden they're forced where they're like, she has to suffer and there's nothing they can do. Like that would eat you alive. (laughs) I can't imagine the like emotional strain that would be in addition to turning into a swan. (laughs) Um, But they kind of decide that they're going to try and like help her set up a little bit. So they chop some wood, they steal her some food and um, Podrick makes her like a little weave contraption thing to make her job a little bit easier. And they leave at the end of uh, midsummer and Sorsha obviously feels super sad and cries uh, very reasonably because all of her brothers have disappeared again. So time passes. Oh, no, I just, I thought the scene was, I mean, obviously it's, no, it's super sad because, right, this is a painful, awful task that Sorsha has to do. But like seeing all of the siblings united and kind of working together as one cohesive family unit, like that was heartwarming. Like you know, you don't see that in real life. Not like <laughs> like I have siblings. No. I love my siblings. However, <laughs> I don't think we could work that well together under a time limit. No, uh, uh-uh. and especially under these circumstances too, because you have to think the brothers didn't do anything selfish either. Like that's their one day to go do whatever they want. And they instead are just helping their sister, like, be set up. Requires a degree of unselfishness that I can't really conceptualize regular people doing. (laughs) But no, and it's kind of, it's kind of one of those, like, moral of, like, those teaching stories. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, if you, like, value and protect and help your family, like, you will help each other and, and grow. It's like as Sorsha and her brothers are exchanging all these old tales that are learning tales, they're experiencing one themselves. Oh, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. And especially because Sorsha's like loves uh, all of these kind of fairy tales and like the lessons learned from them. And it's like, well, you're in the middle of one now, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, time passes and Sorsha's finished one of the shirts at this point and she's kind of starting to work on the second. And so at midwinter, her brothers arrive again, and they tell her that they now have another little brother, uh, Siren, uh, because Unag finally gave birth. So they have a half-brother. And they're kind of, like, iffy about it, but they're also like, well, he's our brother. You know, he's our brother. Uh, Sadly, though, they also apparently have stumbled into some knowledge that Ellis, uh, Liam's kind of fiancé betrothed, has been married off to another man, Iman of the Marshes. And so Liam is kind of like super bent out of shape during this. And everyone's just kind of like sad because they're realizing that they're going to be swans for a hot minute, but like life is going on without them. And especially Finbar, um, he doesn't talk to anyone and he is kind of just like off on his lonesome, staring into the dark, all kind of moody. And Sorsha at the end of the night asks him why he's so sad. And so Finbar kind of originally is like, no, I'm not going to tell you anything. Like, I'm keeping this to myself until eventually he says that he saw some great, horrible future and he doesn't want to burden Sorsha with it because he's not sure that it's going to come true. Okay, pause. So um, not not real pause for recording. (laughs) I just have one little (laughs) like so I am I am currently reading the second book in Mm. in this series and. It's heartbreaking. You find out Finbar's fate in the second book. And this little piece is just tears at your soul once you find out. Oh. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm not going to spoil anything, but yeah, you don't get to find out what happens to Finbar, <laughs> really. Oh. Not not the future that he sees, sees here, but maybe maybe we can do Son of the Shadows, that's book two, as a Ooh. pick of the week. Yeah, that would be a fun one. Now I want to read it, because I didn't realize it like continued with the same characters. So they're all, it's set, I don't want to get too far, we'll say the pick <laughs> of the week, but the second book is about Sorsha's daughter. Oh, Oh, surprise. Uh, Sorsha does make it through eventually. Oh, maybe but we should But does she cut that. <laughs> save her brothers? Who knows? Maybe it's just mm. Finbar that... Or maybe this is the fate. Uh, and Sorsha doesn't actually succeed. And he knows she's not going to succeed. Uh, that's super dark. Actually, let me like cut let's, myself let's off. Let's dig ourselves out of this <laughs> hole that I just put us in. So uh, going back to Sorsha's story with no spoilers. Nope, no spoilers. Um, so Sorsha's a bit like scared and nervous because like Finbar's not telling her anything, but he's seeing this super dark vision. Um, and apparently it's not what I thought it was because uh, Jordan tells us that he was seeing a different vision. But uh, there is something bad that Sorsha now goes through. Um, again, this book is uh, pretty heavy and there's some very... Uh, mature themes, including rape, uh, which is the next scene. So Sorsha is kind of like sitting out in the water. It's kind of hot. It's just been uh, midsummer or almost midsummer at this point. And uh, two men find Sorsha's little refuge after hearing about a fairy girl that lives in the forest from the boy Sorsha encountered earlier that year. Um, Sorsha is then raped repeatedly by the two men. And she's kind of just left to die with the promise that they're going to be back soon. And they also tell her before they leave that her dog, Lynn, who's been there by her side the whole time since the beginning, kind of living with her and suffering with her, um, is up by the hill there. And it's implied that maybe Lynn is not in such a good spot. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on the scene. Um, it deserves like recognition for what Sorsha went through, but I also don't want to uh, drive it home, especially if we have audiences that kind of struggle with this theme. Uh, but I do want to discuss um, what do you think was the intent behind putting this rape scene in this book? So it's it's really hard to defend, including like these kinds of atrocities in detail mm -hmm. in a book or or in a movie or in a show um it it does play such a huge factor in how Sorsha's character develops in response to other events in the rest of the story mm -hmm. i i think it's just a question right now of like how much like how much detail do you give as an author yeah do you need that level of detail I'm reading your notes right now and I'm kind of struggling with it. Yeah. So I went out and read a couple articles about um, uh, authors putting rape scenes in fantasy books and like kind of the like sometimes problematic like nature behind it. And um, one that like really stood out to me in this article, it was by Mythcreants the website. So they're talking about putting rape in a story to make the world feel like more gritty or like more realistic. And it kind of, so what the point is, 
they make in this article is that it kind of communicates that rape is an inevitable part of human existence. And I feel like that's kind of true in this, that this is like a fairy tale. It's obviously like kind of based in historical circumstances, but it also is kind of like rape is going to happen even in these fantasy lands. And it's kind of like, I know that Sorsha goes through this development and kind of works past this. And it's like a fundamental part of her kind of like character arc that she eventually kind of comes to terms with, with what happens and then is still able to have like a relationship after um, and feel comfortable and safe and kind of protected in that relationship. But I do wonder, do we need rape scenes in these like fantasy books? And I feel like it does kind of give like a good example for people who have gone through this that like, you know, you can, you know, potentially be like, okay, in the future and have like a relationship and enjoy it and have like intimacy. Um, but it's also like, even in fantasy worlds, we have to like experience this. You know what I mean? So I, I would argue that this example like this um argument for including it or not including it can be said of anything that's like gratuitously violent mm, um, mm -hmm. and unnecessary like for example simon's torture scene uh, yeah. which we like we don't get into as much detail with simon and what he goes through like the way we get into sorsha's experience here mm -hmm. but like for example they pretty much imply that they castrate simon yeah right so that's torture and mutilation and something that should never like i don't want to read that or experience that in a fantasy book but mm -hmm. does it serve as a character experience does it develop the plot does it add to the story mm -hmm. i mean i don't think anyone ever wants to read this mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah not like deliberately not including it because it's fantasy or fiction and it doesn't require it i think is also a disservice to like readers to some extent like you mm -hmm. were saying yeah right people want to be able to relate and and kind of see similar experiences that they may have gone through and like you said see that there's potentially a better ending mm -hmm. in the future yeah i don't know it's i know i feel like i'm not articulating this very well <laughs> no i feel the same way because i feel like it's one of those kind of sticky situations that you don't want to take away someone's representation in a story and kind of like give them that feel good that uh it happened for them so maybe it can happen for me too but it's also like do we want to continue the narrative that even in these fantasy lands it's inevitable that men are going to rape women or you know women are going to rape men or vice versa but it's like i think it's a struggle and it's a fine line of how you treat it maybe later in the book and the you know the character's development and arc after that and i do feel like this is one of the books that it's not gratuitously thrown in it's not like a throwaway like it does play a part in the plot and it you know is part of her character throughout the novel but it's also like man i don't i don't know <laughs> well and we kind of we'll get into that in part three where we get to see how this experience really shaped Sorsha and how she responds to it. And I think that's where the that's where the author treats this as like the only way you can treat it as in showing the consequences and repercussions of something like this happening to an individual mm -hmm. and then how that affects the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um not treating it as like a plot device or as a tool to be like, oh, this poor character suffers. Feel sorry for the character. Move on and there's no thought or effort put into 
how and what happens to that same person afterwards. Yeah, because I definitely feel like I've read some books that um, there's like threat of rape or a rape actually happens and then it's never readdressed later. Um, you know, the character just kind of is totally okay and jumps into another relationship and has that intimacy that I think a lot of people struggle with after um, going through an assault uh, kind of violation like this. Um, so I do appreciate the fact that uh, Juliet, the author, does kind of pay homage to the struggle afterwards. Um, but yeah, I would be interested to hear our readers' thoughts because I feel like mm -hmm. um, there's always a lot of opinions about it and uh, especially with this book, I could see it going either way, but, um, I'm glad we had a talk about it because I feel like it needs to be talked about instead of just something everyone kind of shoves in a dark closet and nobody recognizes. Um, absolutely. I'm glad you found those articles. Those, I, yeah, you're going to need to send those to me because I want to check them out a little bit more. I wanted to make sure that we like did justice to the scene and like, it's horrific, but we kind of talk about it in a literary sense of like, was it needed or not? Because I feel like a lot of time we give leeway to authors of like, oh, it's their creative vision. But it's like how much of that is informed by, you know, patriarchal ideals and things that we just accept as life. <laughs> so I think that kind of sums up our our take yeah. in our response to this discussion, which is, yes, it can be included if the author is the correct person with the right experiences to do it. And if the author treats the experience appropriately throughout the rest of the book yeah i agree oh man because it's it's so sad to read and like even the the aftermath too is horrific because you know, she's like lying on the ground and she even is having this like internal monologue of like why bother getting up and she's like well i guess i have like no other choice like there's still people relying on me and i feel like a lot of women kind of like um i think could uh, see themselves in that too. Like, what other choice do I have but to keep going? <sighs> so sad. And it gets worse uh, because she gets up and she kind of cleans herself off and uh, she's bleeding. She's obviously been something through something super horrific. Uh, but then she finds Lynn, uh, who's up the hill, and she is dead with a slashed throat. And it's kind of like the last straw for Sorsha. Um, and the next couple weeks, she just kind of spends existing um, until it's midsummer and her brothers appear to help again. And so um, this scene was kind of difficult to read. Um, I don't know if you felt the same way, Jordan, but um, all of the brothers were very upset, like reasonably, like they now feel double guilt because they had to, like they all know what source, what happened to Sorsha and they like couldn't do anything about it. And they're all upset. So, but well, I, I think the timing of this scene. So I think this was right at Midsummer because oh, they were, the, mm -hmm. the swans were on the lake and watched all of this happen. Oh, to right, right, right. Yeah. So even, like, even horrific for her brothers, like, trapped in these swan bodies, unable to save or protect their sister. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. But the scene was hard because, like, they all are reasonably upset to have to, like, witness something happen to their sister. And they've always been protective their whole life. But it kind of felt like they were prioritizing their own feelings over Sorsha. 
And it, I even think like Connor makes a comment about it. He's like, okay, I get we're all upset, but like what we need to do is focus on Sorsha and like helping her. Um, and I think the author did a good, like a good job of explaining that. Cause I feel like it would be kind of a similar experience that everybody's so upset, but it's like, how about we focus on like me for a second and like making sure I'm okay instead of you know, immediately like, oh my God, I'm so pissed off. I want to go kill someone. It's like, let's make sure the victim is okay first. <laughs> um, and so Finbar, Dearman, and Liam immediately go out to go find the men while Connor and uh, Podrick and uh, who's the third one that I'm missing? Connor, Podrick, oh, Cormac. Um, they all stay behind. So Cormac buries Lynn. Um, because that was his dog and they had kind of a complicated relationship towards the end. And Podrick and Connor kind of help fix Sorsha up because she has to get stitches, which another horrific detail just kind of thrown in there. <laughs> um, and so the brothers come back just before dawn after successfully killing the two men uh, with the assistance of Connor and some like well-timed uh, fog. And Finbar is kind of like silent the whole time. But he eventually reaches out to Sorsha with their like mind speak and he kind of like overfills her brain with all these like positive memories and like dreams to kind of help ease some of the pain. And so the brothers leave again at dawn, but the Lady of the Forest comes after that and tells Sorsha that it's time to move on from her spot and shows her a small boat that Sorsha can take to a new location. So Sorsha, she packs up a few of her items, the finished shirt and her work on the second one, a few of her tools, and then the little charm that she still has from Simon, the little like wood carving thing, and uh, pushes off in search of a new home. So except Sorsha is obviously uh, going through some extreme mental anguish from everything that she experienced, and she's also sick and feverish. Um, and so she's riding in the boat and she uh, realizes that the lady meant to just like go along the shore to like the other side of the lake and then set up camp there. Uh, but Sorsha instead rides out, rides out across the lake and then down the river it's connected to. So um, Sorsha at this point is just kind of like letting the boat take her where it will. And then of course a freezing rain starts to make matters just, just like the cherry on top of this whole experience. Like... <laughs> And uh, Sorsha then realizes that she's like completely left the forest, like she's in like rolling farmlands now. And she's in really bad shape. And then she sees a group of men on like a berm next to the river. And she kind of immediately is terrified, obviously. Um, but then one of the group members jumps into the water, um, likely with the intention of saving her, as Sorsha stood up kind of in a rush and then fell overboard out of the boat. So she's terrified and she almost drowns them both as he's trying to save her because uh, that's like a whole thing, isn't that? In like safeguard or lifeguard that uh, if someone's drowning, they always try to like drown you too and it's almost dangerous to try to save them. Have you heard that? Am I crazy? <laughs> yeah, because they're they're panicking and like they don't know. Sometimes they don't know what like up or down and they're yeah. like basically punching you in the face trying to yep. swim. <laughs> that is like exactly how this scene is described. Um, but eventually the man drags them both out of the river and into a small cave where his little group is set up. And so, uh, Sorsha, because she speaks, uh, 
British doesn't sound right to say. <laughs> the, the tongue of the Britons. They speak yeah. English. <laughs> oh, English. <laughs> English. Uh, yeah. So because she, you know, speaks English, she understands that these three men are on the run and that they are Britons. And so the men are kind of like infighting, trying to figure out what to do with Sorsha. Uh, but their leader uh, named Red, LOL for his red hair, um, is adamant that they'll take the girl with them because they can't just leave her to die. Because um, he assumes that her family has like exiled her or something because she's like super thin and wild and haggard looking and like who would just kick out a 13 year old girl to just survive, <laughs> which valid question, like who would do that? <laughs> and then um, all of his feelings are reaffirmed when Red starts going through her little pack and he finds the token from Simon and he immediately gets dun, intense. Dun. <laughs> He's like, where did you find this? <laughs> What is that? So uh, I, no, go ahead. Well, I think we need to describe Red a little That's bit. Fair. He's like this huge, burly dude, like super mm -hmm. tall, super muscly. Like his hair is red, but it's like a buzz cut red. Ugh, um, yeah. Like described as like close cropped to the head. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when he rescues Sorsha out of the water, like she, I think, describes it as like this muscled arm, like encircles her waist and drags her away. And I'm yep. Oh, like, mm. hi, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and I like too that, because um, I feel like a lot of male, uh, like the male characters in books, like main characters, are always described as being like really like, uh, I feel like voracious isn't the right word, but they're like loud and boisterous and like aggressive. But Red is kind of described as like, not the opposite, but very calm, like thinks through everything. Yeah, like um, not melancholy, but you know those people that are just kind of like calm, kind of just very somber maybe is the right word. Um, that's how he's described immediately, which it's refreshing to hear someone described instead of like the total alpha male thing that seems to be uh, the norm in books. And so... Uh, Sorsha though, obviously she cannot talk. And so she can't respond to him when he's like, where did you get this? And he's kind of like immediately suspicious. He's like, it kind of seems like you can understand me, but you're not saying anything. Um, we're for sure going to take you with us. Cause like you obviously have something interesting that I find interesting. And then also like, who are you? And I'm not going to just leave you out here to die. And so, uh, the men are being chased uh, I think I mentioned that earlier. And so the two other men that he's with kind of split off to try and draw attention. Um, and then Red and Sorsha take a more like difficult route to the boat they have waiting, but it's faster. And so Red and Sorsha are doing okay for a while um, until their pursuers catch up. And Red has no choice but to take a stand. And so he pushes Sorsha behind him and single-handedly attempts to fight like a whole squad of like... Uh, Irishman uh that's terrifying first of all like good on you for thinking that you can do that uh but he actually does He's okay tight. like <laughs> yeah like he holds yeah. his own for a while like he was fine yeah um except he takes a nasty strike strike to the leg eventually and it looks as though he's about to be killed and Sorsha kind of like connects like this is my best hope at surviving and potentially being taken somewhere where I continue, you know, my task. And if I'm not, I'm probably going to be taken back to UNAG or UNA. 
And so she's like kind of cries out in her mind, like, if anyone is fucking listening, like, please help me. And then with the big clap, uh, this crazy downpour starts. Um, have you ever been to Florida, Jordan? Yes, I have. And have you will never return? Yep. <laughs> have you been through one of those like Florida? I feel like in Georgia too, like the whole South, where it just like all of a sudden and it feels like someone dumped a whole bucket of water over like the whole like five mile <laughs> radius. Dude, okay. So I so I went to a um family reunion oh. in Oklahoma. Because um, <laughs> that's where some of my family's from. And God. we were there in the summer. God gross and <laughs> one of those freak storms like out oh. of nowhere just deluge 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 i wanted to say that word but i don't those... know how to say it i don't know how to deluge. say it <laughs> a lot of water came out of nowhere <laughs> yes <laughs> like like flooded the street for like three or four inches and took all of five minutes thunder lightning and then it was sunny again yeah, like that's what I pictured happening here. That's exactly what I pictured too. And I think that's how she describes it. Like they can't see anything. They can't like, and then it's cute because like all she describes is like Red's hand reaching out and then they hold hands and run away. And it's like, oh, that's kind of cute. Because uh, also there was this cute scene, not to totally derail the episode really quick, um, where they're still ahead of their pursuers, but they're like kind of on the run and they pause for a second because obviously it's like Sorsha's teeny tiny thin you know can't quite keep up with a full-grown man basically because he's described as like 20 21 yeah he's in his like early 20s yeah um and he grabs like an apple and splits it with her and like gives her a piece and she even has this like thing where she's like he obviously doesn't know what this means in like my culture because it means you know uh he's like pursuing her uh but it's just a cute little like Oh, like she deserves like a little nugget of kindness. <laughs> the apple scene kind of reoccurs later too. Like, it does. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's super cute. Yep. So I, I do feel like um, it's important to comment that like Sorsha's kind of like wary of him, but she kind of also seems to realize that he's like a good person. Because um, I feel like there's those people that you meet that you're like, you're a good person person like a trustworthy like immediately like okay you do the right thing in tough situations and he kind of like proves that again and again when they're kind of running off um and so the crazy rain is coming down they're running they can't see anything except uh they slide down a hill and they land in this like tiny little cliff on uh or in a cave on a cliff um and barely make it <laughs> But in the cave, Sorsha fixes up Red's leg as best she can, uh, which is actually like decently because, you know, she's a healer and she does like an okay job. Um, but then that night they have this sort of like vision quest thing in the cave uh, where they meet the lady of the forest and her like court. And they kind of have like a bunch of like very, uh, not innuendo, but like a very like context-filled conversation what's a better way of saying that uh you know what i'm trying to say everything they say has it's meaning a, but like do you pick it up or not <laughs> yeah it's a very like dreamlike scene yeah that's described here and sorcia can speak during like in the scene like she's speaking with the lady of the forest i think right mm -hmm. yeah like very like the mind speak or whatever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 
And uh, yeah, Lady of the yeah. Forest is being like very vague and implying all sorts of weird things. And yeah. yep. <laughs> and so the lady says that she's going on a long trip and that she won't always be there to help Sorsha where Sorsha's going. Um, but that Sorsha has picked a good protector. In red the whole time, he can't do mind speak, obviously. And he's kind of like super protective over Sorsha. And he's like, what the fuck is happening? Who are you? Like, Faye, you're like eight feet tall. Uh, you're saying some mean things to her. Like, fuck off. I'll fight you. And they're like, you're injured. Like, what are you going to do? And he's like, I don't know, but I'm going to fight you. <laughs> he like puts Sorsha behind him again. And yeah. like. I'm a man, like, I'm going to use my big body to shield her, like, oh. and so it's just like, you're a fucking idiot, man. Yep. <laughs> these are fae. What are you going to do with these, with the fae? Yep. I feel like that's a reoccurring, like, uh, not a theme, but like a trope almost, that he's constantly, like, putting himself in the line of danger, which, again, is, like, crazy, but shows what kind of person he is, that he just met this, like, young, wild girl, saved her life without regard to the fact that he's being like hunted by Irishmen. And then he also is facing off with this like supernatural, you know, committee of scary beings. And he's still like, I don't really know her, but I'm going to protect her. Like, let me just step in front of her. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> but um, they kind of are like magicked back into the cave. And the next morning, the other two members of Red's team thankfully find them. Because uh, they were told to get on the ship and they're like, mm, no, we're just going to continue staying here and try to find you. And they help them get onto the boat that'll take them back to Britain. So they kind of cross the sea, ocean, sea, channel, some kind of body of water. The channel is between what, France and, and Britain? Oh, right? yeah. But is, is there another channel between Ireland and... I uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know history or geography. <laughs> oh, no. I'm uh, anyway. Curious, so while you're doing that, I'm going to look up and see how like how far That's they actually fair. have to go. We need like a research uh, moment mm -hmm. here. Ask the Googs. Um, they cross this body of water, however, and they stop on the coast at like a nunnery, a convent. I think it's called a nunnery. Um, but the sisters are immediately like, oh, my God, this small child. Uh, they give her a bath. Uh Oh, your face is like confused. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that close. So oh. it's just 12 miles apart at the narrowest what? point. Yeah. 12 miles. I guess like back in the day, like trying to cross that with a boat would be scary. But like 12 miles, like there's people that run that on like a daily basis. That's less impressive. I'm mm. <laughs> good job. You sailed 12 miles on a little boat. Wow. It takes a lot to impress you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See, fantasy has given me like a false inflated sense of like what's an outrageous act. <laughs> you know, I forgot what podcast I was listening to, uh, but I think it was, it might have been the Bridge Kingdom where there's sharks. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. The and they were one of the commentator was, was was just losing her shit over the sharks <laughs> in this book like how can you have sharks in a fantasy episode well maybe if they put sharks here it would have been a more dangerous crossing more yeah. valid for <laughs> a fantasy setting maybe the water is too cold or something right that's a thing are there I mean, any yeah it's the north atlantic creature? <laughs> oh i wonder if there's orcas 
They go in cold water, right? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, we'll just add in orca whales. There was orca whales in this water, so it was a very treacherous passing. Oh, also, Sorsha has like a very weak stomach and she was vomiting the whole time. That's actually real. <laughs> uh, anyway, back to the convent. Uh, so they give her a bath, they clean her up, they brush her hair. Uh, they're like, oh my God, here's some new clothes. Like, I'm very sorry. Um, and then Sorsha kind of escapes for a second and sits out in the garden. And afterwards, she kind of overhears the head sister, um, the like mother. I don't, I don't know what you call a head nun at a convent. Uh, uh, the mother. Oh, mother superior. I only know that because of sound of music. Wow. Okay, mother superior. <laughs> so she hears the mother superior uh, talking with Red. <laughs> that sounds stupid. <laughs> I'm gonna verify. I'm gonna verify that one. Yeah. <laughs> Because that sounds like something from Dune. <laughs> the <laughs> Mother fair. Superior. Oh, okay. The Abbess. Abbess. Oh, I feel like I've heard that before. The Abbess. Yeah. A- How do I say it? The Abbess? I. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many words we can't say. Um, <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, the Head Sister. Um, she tells Red. Head yeah. Head- oh. <laughs> uh, the Abbess. We'll just, it's fine. You guys know what I mean. (laughs) I, this is fine. Uh, She tells Red that she thinks Sorsha should stay with them at the convent um, to regain her strength and to get some spiritual counseling uh, because she reveals to Red that she has been, uh, Sorsha's been abused by a man recently. And so Red uh, reasonably kind of flips out and is really upset. He's like, I'm going to fucking find that dude and kill him. Um, but he's kind of adamant now, even more so, that Sorsha is going to stay with him and he's going to keep her safe. It's worthwhile to point out that the the head sister is like, hey, man, like, I know you since you're a little boy. Like, mm-hmm. I know the kind of man you are. But, like, do you trust your men? Because yeah. we will fuck you up if you, like, <laughs> did this to this girl. So Yeah. I do love how she was immediately like, Sorsha's one of us now. <laughs> we <laughs> will protect her. <laughs> um, but Red is immediately like, uh, no, I'm going to continue protecting this young, wild girl. So at dinner, we kind of have this cute scene um, where all the other sisters are talking about Sorsha and they're like, uh, you need a name. And they kind of like go through a couple of them and they're like, eh, none of these are like really working um, until they finally decide on Jenny, which doesn't that mean? Oh, no, Bonnie means pretty. Does Jenny mean pretty, too? Um, no, so I think it was Jenny because there's like a Jenny bird oh. or something and Sorsha was very bird-like. Yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. Uh, but after that, the next day, they leave for Red's lands, uh, which his like holding or whatever is called Harrowfield. Um, and it's kind of described as this like very picturesque little farming area with rolling hills and trees and uh, a river that like kind of winds around the whole thing. Um but they kind of roll into the big house and they're greeted by everyone, including Red's mother, Lady Anne. Um, she's very much not stoked about the idea of her son bringing this like wild Irish girl uh, back with him. And she immediately kind of gives Sorsha the cold shoulder. So you just finished watching Charlotte. Yes. Like the Bridgerton. Okay. I completely pictured the princess mother. Uh- yeah uh she plays uh catlin stark in uh oh it's the same yeah uh-huh yeah yeah i did too well, as 
Catelyn Stark, like she had like a much more motherly friendly mm-hmm. figure, but like as the princess mother, she was like, yeah. "This is my son, bitch. Yeah, I will fuck I will you up, fight you." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I imagined Anne because she's described as very like um, proper lady, and she's like, "Why did you bring this random ass?" irish woman into my house like what the fuck <laughs> um but red is pretty adamant uh that source is to be treated as a guest not as like an extra hand to do like laundry or cooking or anything and he's kind of like throughout these scenes he's very adamant that it's like she's going to carry out her task nobody you know, harass her, nobody bully her, like don't task her out to do things. Like she's just going to do her little task thing. And, you know, she's a guest here. Um, it's also revealed that Red's name is Hugh. Uh, right. I think that's how you say it. Hugh, H-U-G-H. <laughs> I'm so tired of names. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Hugh. I'm tired of words and names. <laughs> Maybe like picking a podcast as our extra hobby yeah. was the wrong way to go since we can't pronounce anything. That's fair. Because it's one thing to say these in your head and be like, yeah, that's right. Sure. And then it's another to say them out loud. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. Uh, but Hugh slash Red, whatever we're going to call him, um, he was out in Ireland searching for his lost brother, Simon. Simon. Hmm. Huh. What a coincidence. Weird. That can't be the Simon that Sorsha was helping earlier in the novel, could it? Maybe that's why he freaked out when he saw the carving huh. that Sorsha had. Weird. I wouldn't freak out about that if my brother was lost for several months and then all of a sudden this random like wild Irish girl had a little carving that uh, is literally the emblem of my land and it looks like my brother made it because I know I didn't make it. Uh yeah, that's a little sus. Huh. Anyways, uh, time passes at Harrowfield and Sorsha's kind of um, looked at very warily. People don't really talk to her. They kind of shun her, um, which from their perspective, I kind of understand uh, because Sorsha is Irish, which they are in some like long term blood feud with. Uh, she doesn't speak. Uh, and she's also doing some like weird ass shit with the Star Wars stuff, and her hands are all fucked up, um, which I feel like could be interpreted as witchcraft. And it almost kind of is because she's trying to break a witch's curse. So, like, I would be a little bit wary of her too. Um, but Red kind of. Uh, preemptively assuming that that's how people were going to treat her has kind of set up like a protective detail um, where she always has someone that he trusts around her at all times. So it's either himself or the two men that were on the trip earlier who are named uh, John and Ben. And then also John's wife, Marjorie, kind of like starts to reach out to her and they talk and kind of develop a initial friendship or yeah, friendship. That kind of like blossoms. Um, So she's just kind of like minding her own business, working on the sweaters or whatever. But she's out taking a break. And, um, you know, because her so- hands have gone like soft after uh, her whor- whole ordeal and then being taken to another land. Uh, so she kind of needs more breaks than usual. 
and she's out and on a walk and she finds Red in the woods. Uh, and he, they have kind of a conversation before this, obviously. But he asks her that if she could tell Simon, like tell him about Simon and what happened, like would she? And Sorsha kind of like nods. But Red understands that she's not going to speak because she obviously hasn't said anything up to this point. Um, and then he kind of kind of promises, basically, that as soon as she completes her task and like he'll give her the space she needs to do it, um, if after, in return, she will tell him what happened to uh, his brother. And Sorsha kind of like reluctantly agrees to this because on the one hand, she understands that Red wants to know what happened to Simon because like he's been lost and nobody really knows what happened and they kind of assume that he's dead. Um, but she's also very guilty about it because she obviously wasn't the one to torture Simon, but like her family did, her people did. And so um, she kind of feels uncomfortable about the whole thing, but she also kind of is like, he's done a lot to protect me, just kind of really out of the kindness of his heart because he wants to find out about his brother. Like, that's the least I could do. Um, so life kind of continues on in Harrowfield until about mid-fall when Anne's brother, Richard, who owns the like really big holding next to their little kingdom thing, uh, finally deigns to visit. And the whole household is super nervous and anxious about this visit. Um, everyone kind of describes Richard as this like kind of assholey, aggressive, uh, suave, sly man. And uh, Sorsha obviously is on edge about the whole thing too, uh, especially because Red is like, you will not be anywhere alone with him. Like you need to be careful. Don't like talk to him. Don't, you know, gain any attention from him. He seems like he's not a great guy. <laughs> um, but... We will save uh, that visit for our next episode because that is about the 51% mark, I think. Yeah, that's about right. I think we pick up around, if you're reading the hard copy, it's about page 282, I want to say. Nice. Yeah. So about halfway. Uh, I hate Richard. I will just say, like, I hope our readers are uh, prepared for the slew of insults that I will be giving uh, throughout Jordan's retelling of part three of this. <laughs> he, he is a villain, like oh, capital V yeah. villain, done very well. God. But my <gasps> goodness, I, I can't wait to describe him because he's just, ugh. yeah. but we'll wait. Did you ever watch the Disney, The Hunchback of Notre Dame or Notre Dame? Oh, you're yeah. thinking Frollo. Yeah. The Richard is exactly like that character, I feel like. I feel like I need to watch the Disney movie again, but like my recollection of it, that is spot on for Richard. Yeah, I could see that. Frollo is such a dark character, but like yeah. he's got Frollo as a villain is way more like multidimensional than most Disney villains. Yeah, that it's, is true. Super underrated Disney movie. The music is beautiful. That is true. Mm -hmm. I want to watch that again. It's like a little comfort movie. <laughs> but yeah, fuck that guy, first of all. Both of them, Frollo <laughs> and <laughs> Richard. <laughs> well, that's a that's a positive note to end on. So yep. from yeah, fuck our that guy. shelf to yours. <laughs> we'll see you on the next page. Hi, readers. If you'd like to help us pick our next book, send us a message on Instagram.
Or if you'd like to just listen, we post new episodes every Monday on Spotify, Amazon, or Apple Music. Thanks for listening.